This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. Welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. My name is James Gill, joined as always by Always Be Comedy's very own Tim Lewis. Tim, how has your week been? It's been fantastic. How's your week been? It's been good because we, we've seen each other quite a lot and that makes it a great week. Uh, we had a show last night. New, uh, I say new act. To relatively new to us, certainly new because it was his debut. Uh, Josh Bolf, Tim, I thought he was. I thought it was hilarious. Oh my god! Yeah, I think someone you need to get on your radar very quickly. His Instagram videos are very funny. You've probably seen them; they go viral most weeks. <laughs> He's fantastic, and you often wonder will it translate on stage, and it really does. Uh, I said there are bits where I could picture it in an arena to James on WhatsApp today total agreement he has a routine about visiting a pal when he was a kid i don't want to burn his gear but you're right pure arena i would say a bit like shades of peter k bit of rob beckett but yet at the same time very much his own dude so yeah check out josh i thought it was hilarious yeah tim's right you might have you might have already seen him there was sindhu v always great to see her ed i mean ed gamble absolutely roofed it i mean and then sindhu closed it and she roofed it as well it was a great night. I know we, we don't, you know what, Tim? We probably don't talk about the gigs enough. No, of course we're not. Which is, maybe that's a, what? That's a real foolish mistake. <laughs> going forward, going forward, you're getting reports of our gigs. Going forward, you'll hear us be enthusiastic about gigs. Oh, and then also we had one of our secret newsletter shows with uh, Ramesh Ranganathan, who was obviously uh, incredible. What I mean, tell you what, guys, you heard it here first. He's one to watch. Um, <laughs> For, in fact, for Ramesh, uh, you know, definitely comedy royalty to, to another uh, member of the comedy aristocracy. I don't know where I'm going with this. But anyway, Andy Hamilton, an absolute, a, a god of comedy. I mean, his CV is, it's eye-watering. And as I say, as I say to Andy in the episode, so I, as, right, I'm a huge Drop the Dead Donkey fan, like massive drop. I mean, I, every single episode, it was essential viewing uh, throughout my youth Incredible show. So we, we talked about that. So I, I knew about Drop the Dead Donkey. I knew about some of the others, but I didn't know uh, how far his his CV went back. So the likes of he was, I mean, he was very self-deprecating. But he's worked <laughs> with the likes of, um, oh my gosh, not the Nine O'clock News, iconic Mike Yarwood, uh, Marty Kane, the two Ronnies. He he was very keen to downplay the two Ronnies thing. He goes, I I only wrote one sketch, mate. If, if any of us had written a sketch for the two Ronnies, I'd have, I'd have it on a T-shirt. 
Um, so he's, yeah, just an astonishing career. He wrote with uh, wrote for Smith and Jones as well. Uh, I, I don't want to spoil it, but he drops an absolute bombshell about drop the. Do we tease the the, the bombshell, or maybe just let it play out? Tim, what do you think? Um, all I'll say is <laughs> when I when it was revealed, your mouth was open for about forty minutes. <laughs> right. Well, I'm right. I'm sure, you, dear listener, maybe you are as well. But Drop the Dead Donkey is such an iconic, phenomenal show. And it was, you know, it was the, the turnaround. They had topical gags in and they were getting it out. I mean, he talks about the process of keeping it fresh and current, which is incredible that they that they achieved that for a, for a sitcom to have incredibly current jokes and to record it on a night and get the episode out the next day. Because some sitcoms can take weeks, if not months, to edit. So it's just... I did, that that to me was uh, pretty mind blowing, and if you are a fan of Drop the Dead Donkey, strap in for what he has to say. Uh, do we use the word excited? Maybe not. But anyway, we were very excited. Drop the Dead Donkey. We'll leave that there. Now Andy Hamilton is going on tour. Now Andy Hamilton, I mean, I would say to his credit, doesn't do things like social media. No, 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 sorry. So you, will, if you Google Andy Hamilton tour, uh, you will find all the dates. And Andy in the episode will talk you through the dates. Uh, Bruce Dessau with his uh, wonderful Beyond the Joke website. If you, if you, so if you Google Andy Hamilton tour, Bruce Dessau has very handily collated all the dates, uh, and he's he's hyperlinked each date so if you want to buy tickets you can do that so if you visit bruce's beyond the joke website and he's got the tour dates for andy hamilton uh and maybe when the episode goes out we can share bruce's that makes sense we'll share bruce sweet sweet bruce's link uh tim we were we were in awe of, of andy weren't we really we were he was fantastic it's worth saying this is a podcast first it was our first in person yes yeah, so we we typically do them online because it's it's easy for everyone but andy wanted the feel of the room uh, <laughs> you know like a, almost like a purist so we did it in real life so you know we, we might do more in in real life moving forward but we're also mindful with the vagaries of of uh real life that online just it just makes it a lot easier for a lot of people but yes we may do more in real life and it was made possible to do it in real life thanks to 21 soho that was tim weren't they the most accommodating hosts Wonderful. They've got a podcast studio, which is state of the art, I'm going to say. Uh, made us feel very welcome. Got us drinks for, for us all. And yeah, just a lovely atmosphere. It was a perfect place to record it. It's a lovely place. So if you are in or near London, uh, check out 21 Soho. The, can I just say, they didn't ask us to do this plug and say thanks, but no, I, no, myself no. were hashtag raised the right way. and I, And we were... We were really grateful that they'd they'd gone above and beyond, and they really made us feel at home. And uh, I think when the staff, when when Andy was walking past the staff, they were similarly deferent, similarly deferential to Tim and myself. There was there was much bowing of heads, and you know, <laughs> oh, so I've got. I, I, I did say this to Andy because what happened was I walked into the room, and Andy goes, "We've met before." Well, it turns out what what happened was I was on the tube about a month ago. Uh, this is before this interview was organised, and Andy Hamilton, who is a 
he's a hero of comedy to, to everyone, really. Andy Hamilton was on the same tube carriage. And I thought I should probably just say thank you to Andy Hamilton for everything that he's done down the years. Great performer, great writer, great wit, great comedian. I mean, just, you know, all around. I'm going to say bon viveur. I've got carried away. Anyway, I got to my stop and I walked over to Andy and I, I shook him warmly by the hand and I said, thank you for always being so funny. Uh, little did I know that a matter of weeks later we would meet him in real life. So I got to, uh, I guess, apologise for scaring him on the <laughs> on the tube. But I would say, Tim, I reckon if if it's the right, if someone's having a meal, no, that's absolutely, you know, or if someone's clearly having a private moment, again, no. But I think if you, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it, Tim? What where do you stand on that? It's so tricky. Um, I think. People like to know. People like to know they're appreciated. I'd say. I think that's fair. And I think and if you're respectful, brief, if I may say so, and just pass it on, I think that's a lovely thing to do, actually. And also, I said it while I was on the move. Exactly. Even better. Even better. So there was no pressure on. You know, I wasn't like. Oh, I heard a. I heard a. I heard a funny story about. I heard a story about Frank Lampard, uh-huh. and I don't think he'll mind me saying this, but somebody. Not someone I know. Somebody witnessed this. So, someone that we all know. Uh, a comedian. I won't say who, because, you know. But anyway, to Frank Lampard's credit, somebody cornered Frank Lampard and basically talked at him uh, for about 45, yeah, about 45 minutes, basically like reliving his entire career. And to Frank Lampard's eternal credit, he was an absolute gentleman. And uh, so so that, so that I would say that's probably, that's, that's too extreme, right? So... I'm very impressed with Frank. For doing oh, Frank comes God. out of this story, uh, yeah. essentially a, a god. Yeah. Uh, and whenever Frank Lampard is on television, I always think, oh, I know that you're, I know that you are a nice person. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, that, that is extreme. I, w- I will acknowledge that. But uh, I heard, I think it was Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey said, if you ever, if you ever bump into somebody famous, be specific. That's it. Yes. Yes. So if so, if you if you were to say to someone, "Oh, I love that film you made in nineteen whatever," they would go, "Oh my god, thank you, you know, wow, thank, I'm so glad." Rather than, oh, "I love you," and um, how about this? Yes, if please. you've run into someone, a celebrity, and it went well, we want the stories that went well. Please email us the team at alwaysbecomedy.com. We would love to read oh, about that's them. Good. That's good. That's <laughs> so good. Yes. Uh, what so 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 what we're after is where the person was lovely. I think I think so. If it's if it's juicy, send it to us. We probably won't read it out, but no. You, well, you never know. Send it. Send them all in. Send them all in. We're we're hashtag polite boys, and we we're not gonna you know. Also, we don't want to get sued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the main thing. We've got uh, loads of shows coming up. Uh, AlwaysBeComedy.com. The likes of Rose Matafeo, uh, the likes of uh, Matt Ford, Rosie Holt, Ian Sterling, John Robbins, oh, Anya Magliano, again, what a ferocious talent. Oh, Rich, Rich Hall, Sakisa, Finn Taylor, many, many more. You'll find it, you'll find them all. Alwaysbecomedy.com or across the socials at Always Be Comedy. Um, so the Always Be Comedy podcast is where we sit down with a comedian. 
um, or someone related to comedy. I think I think in the future we'll be branching out away from comedy, but for now we're in comedy. And they they sit down and they curate their fantasy gig. Who would open? Who would close? What thing have they witnessed? A gig that must never happen at this fantasy gig. All this and much much more. And uh, what has happened? We have. We thought the format was good. What we didn't expect was to collect the stories that we've collected. And there have been some absolute beauties. And if you like showbiz anecdotes, as much as Tim and I love showbiz anecdotes, Andy Hamilton has got some absolute snorters. And what we would say is, come for the comedy, stay for the bonus chat about Chelsea Football Club and Jimmy Greaves at the end it's almost it's almost like a separate podcast so what <laughs> happened was we were sort of wrapping up with andy but because he's such a raconteur i, I, I mean tim and i have, have talked about this since we're mindful that we felt that andy had to you know we, you don't want to take the mickey when, you, when you're interviewing someone so we thought andy had somewhere to you know we were we were being respectful we, we were trying to wrap it up after an hour hour 20 because we thought andy's got to get on with his life he's a, he's a busy guy but at the very same time we are confident that Andy Hamilton could have talked for four more hours. He's uh, he's that kind of guy. Um, Tim, anything to add about the maestro? Uh, he'd make a brilliant, this is what was in my head as you were saying that, he'd make a brilliant an audience with host. Well, that, I mean, that the tour is actually part audience with, isn't it? It is, it is. Seamless. So he, there's two, Tim's usually the one that, that does this, but there's two halves. One half is what you, is, is, is stand-up comedy. And then the other half, I mean, he does say this himself now. Um, sorry, I'm just copying what he said. The other half, you, the audience member, will submit questions and, it, and he will answer them. And it can be about anything, I suppose. If I was there, I would pose. I mean, to be fair, we asked him the questions. Uh, but what, it's a great opportunity to find out more from a, a, a great, a legend, an icon of comedy. So without further ado, one of the greats, Andy Hamilton. <laughs> Right, we're we're joined by, my God, one of the true greats. I would say that one glance at Andy Hamilton's IMDb page is is enough to make any comedy purist roll a tear. It's extraordinary. Uh, Andy, before the the full-on hero worshipping kicks in, please talk us through the tour, when it starts, uh, what you might be talking about. Yes, okay. Uh, Well, the tour starts... Hang on, I better get my dates out. <laughs> that would be a start. I start at the Swaledale Festival. Hang on, this is this is very analog. This is a moment. The sound you can hear is the sound of me getting out my diary. Uh, yeah, I start at Swaledale, which they have a, a very good festival. Um, right. I've not been before. It's meant to be lovely. Uh, it's going to be a slog to get there because all the trains are out on strike. But never mind um so that is on the um the third of june and then after that i go southport on the 7th blackheath on the 10th derby on the 14th um cambridge on the 18th doncaster on the 23rd uh newbury on the 29th and then Launceston on the 9th of July, Plymouth on the 10th of July, Litchfield 
on the 15th of July and then finally Milton Keynes on Sunday the 16th of July. So as you can hear, it's not the most hard-working tour <laughs> ever. It's not one of those, you know, Aberdeen on Monday, Truro on Tuesday <laughs> kind of tours. It is a nice, leisurely tour, suitable for someone, you know, of a certain age. Uh, we're, we're both over 30. Yeah, yeah, I'm, a, yeah, I'm just shading over 30. So, um, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. And the show, the first half of the show, I talk about all sorts of things, but um, I sort of end up talking about what what the function and purpose of comedy might be in sort of human terms. Um, that sounds rather sort of highfalutin. Love it already. I'll do it, I'll do it via jokes. And then um, <laughs> the second half is dictated by the audience because um, at the interval I leave a bucket on, on the, the front of the stage and then they write out whatever questions they want answered in the second half. And um, so that's sort of shaped by what they ask and they ask about big things and small things and all sorts. So it's actually quite a nice and natural uh way of throwing together a, a second half and also given given the career given the shows that you've been responsible for given the people that you've worked with I mean that book it's going to be full as well isn't it well I mean that's one of the advantages of being older <laughs> is you you've you've had a lot of experiences remembering them can be a battle but you've got a lot to call on you know and um You've got a lot of you've got a lot of jokes to call on. You've got a lot of stories, a lot of anecdotes, a lot of opinions. Uh, again, you know, I express them all through through comedy. I'm not going to stand and berate anybody, but yeah, I mean, that's not to say you get the occasional question that's so surreal. Um, it takes you a moment to, to to think of something to say, but uh, by and large, it's a very um, it's actually really enjoyable because when you've done the first half, you know, which you've prepped, to actually think, well, I don't know what's going to happen now. It's actually strangely relaxing. Sure. Um, because they every second half is different. But you're one of the, you know, like Steve McQueen or Clint Eastwood, you're one of the quickest draws in the West. I mean, the reason why that second half is so beautiful, when I think of your appearances on Have I Got News For You, I mean, mate, you're... You never you so you use a football vernacular. You always took those away from six yards, right? Okay. Well, I am edited on Have I Got News. That's the only thing I would say because people often say, "Oh, you're really quick." You know, you think, "Yeah, well, all of us would be quick if if someone edited out the pauses." You know, but that's a very um, modest answer. No, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not. You know, there are people out there who are quicker, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm reasonably nimble on my feet now so um yeah so so it's it's great fun the second half i mean the first half is fun but the second half is a different kind of fun no i say this is a compliment it's not going to sound like one yeah but i when i went on when i looked at the shows you'd worked on i i couldn't believe that you're old enough to have worked on the shows that you worked on so that is a, that right. is a compliment but the likes yeah of, yeah that, hang on i'm just working out if that is a compliment <laughs> yes it is Yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> but the likes of Yarwood and the two Ronnies. Yeah, I mean, that, how did you catch that break? How did those shows come about? Well, I mean, I should be honest about the two Ronnies. Although that's there in the CV in time on a tradition, I only got once. Yeah, there was one sketch that they did. It was a good sketch, but they, um, Mike Yarwood, I did work with. What happened was I started in radio in '76. 
and then I I got approached, you know, started getting approached to go and work in telly. And initially I worked with, with comics because, you know, that was what, what was there. There were shows built around performers like Mike Yarwood, Dave Allen. Um, I wrote a lot for Les Dawson for two to three years. Um, and that's what you did. You, you, you know, you serviced comics, basically. Um, and it was a really good training. There was part of me thinking this is okay, I am in showbiz and I am doing comedy, but there was part of me that was just thinking, this is just a fraction, not boring, but one-dimensional, you know. But then, luckily for me, um, they did Not the Nine O'Clock News, and that was, you know, the co-creator was uh, someone I'd worked with a lot at radio, and that was a completely different kind of experience. Suddenly, you know, the rule book got thrown out the window and suddenly we were doing mad stuff. And that was the first. That was the first show where I thought, "Ah, oh, yeah, this it could be as exciting as this." You know, being there on the ground floor when a show is being created, and it's a kind of ambitious show. And um, so that was, yeah, I got into it from radio. Um, started on a, a program called Weekending, which was a topical review. Sure. Um, which was fantastic training for writers because the script you had you wrote couldn't be longer than like a, a, a minute 20 seconds and it had to be funny and performable but it had to have an argument that was the other interesting thing about it you couldn't just sling down a string of gags it had to have a shape and it had to have a point fantastic so so it was sort of halfway between comedy and journalism in a way and a lot of very good writers came out through that show because it really honed their sort of disciplines and muscles you know now, not the narc on news. That show, that feels even that that still feels exciting now. When I rewatch right. old episodes, I can get a flavour. Even when I was young, I was still aware of that show. But but you know, there was that amazing documentary on the BBC a few years ago. Um, it was Talking Heads talking about the history of the not the narc on news. All oh, right, but I mean that must have been almost like the maybe the closest we got to Saturday Night Live, I guess, in terms of. I mean, those four were red, were red hot, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, well, there hadn't been. I mean, the thing about television is they they'll bung the word satire on anything. Yeah. You know, any show that mentions any comedy show that mentions the prime minister gets gets dubbed as a satire. And there there are very few genuine satirists. On there's Chris Morris and Armando Anucci, um, but there, there's not many. Um, so when not the, and and there'd been a dearth of we'd had that was the week that was in the sixties. Yep. There hadn't really been anything with any edge for quite a while. So when uh, not nine o'clock news came on air in seventy nine, I think there there was a real hunger for it. People had been a bit starved of of that. So there was a genuine excitement to the show when it broke. I mean, it's sort of divided. I remember the the first show, the first episode, the, the the review in the Guardian said, "Who do these young wankers think they are?" They used the word wankers, <laughs> and um, uh, but within a few weeks, the tone sort of changed because I think they realised that particularly younger viewers were kind of getting excited about the show. I mean, that the the John McEnroe sketch, yes. was. Went viral before viral was was a thing. You know, it was yeah. that was a thing where people in playground, you know, kids in playgrounds were Would going, "You cannot be serious." You know? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, he must yeah. have, so, I mean, that well, was... that's what happens with Grant. I mean, I remember that when I was a kid, the same thing happened with, you know, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore shows and uh, Python. Sure. You know, there were lots of playgrounds where people were acting out Python sketches, you know. That's exciting. Now, now when I was a teenager, uh, a show came on to Channel 4, remains one of my favourite shows ever. I have such warmth. You know what I'm going to say? Drop the Dead Donkey. I mm-hmm. mean... You, did you know early on that you, you had something special on your hands there? Um, that's always a difficult question because I thought it was something we would be proud of because you see it in rehearsal and you think, oh, yeah, this is this is going to be good. What you don't know, what you never know, is whether it's going to take off or not. Um, so I think you kind of train yourself not to think that far ahead. And you just think, well, you know, our first objective, is this the show we set out to make? Yes, it is. And then we'll see. Um, I mean, with that show, again, because although it was an office sitcom, it was a classic workplace sitcom in many ways, because it was set in a, a newsroom and it meant we could let them talk about news that had just happened and we constructed it in such a way that we could drop topical material in very late like even you know because we filmed it the night before it went out um i think that really got viewers interested and excited you know because they thought hang on i've just seen that on the news you know and so that so we had we had we thought that would have some impact but we we had underestimated how much impact it would have you know um and so so the short answer to your question is no, I didn't know uh, that it was, but I thought it was going to be good, but I didn't know it would be successful. And that, and that happened, and you know, it it can happen sometimes. You you make something, you think, well, that is the show we set out to make, and it's not successful. It doesn't take off commercially, um, but that one did. Think of something like Cheers, where the the alchemy is just perfect. Everything, yeah. And that was one of those shows the, the, that cast you had, bloody Nora, just. Absolute murderer's row, wasn't it? Every, everyone yeah. just. They're a great cast, and they're a great cast. And I think I am uh, allowed to say that um, it's about to be announced that we uh, we're doing a Drop the Dead Donkey stage show from in January next year, which is like those same collection of characters, all played by the same actors. Um, but being parachuted into the world of sort of AI and 24-hour rolling news. And so it was really, really exciting. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I only hesitated because cause it's that thing about embargoes and stuff. But, yeah, no. So, uh, yeah, in January. It's a touring production from January. I'm not sure. I'm nearly crying here. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. There is a script, you know. Tim's first, laughing because he could see me nearly bursting uh, into tears. First draft of a script. I <laughs> uh, will come along. Come along. Oh my God, you just, mate. Yeah, we'll security won't like me within twenty we'll, meters. We'll, we'll get you in. I mean, the, the character. I mean, I, I, I know I've got. I know I've got to move on. But the ca- the character of Gus Hedges. Yes. That character ages like a fuck. To this day, I will still use Gus Hedge-isms. Well, management bullshit never dies. Management bullshit never dies. And, um, you know, it's funny how often I'm a Chelsea fan and quite often I'll I'll catch a bit of, you know, the new, um, the the spokes 
spokesperson for the owners, Todd Burley, talking, and he talks in pure gussisms. <laughs> you know, it's all meaningless gibberish, you know. What was the line about, about, about my um, popping my percolator, see what comes out from? I can't there's, remember. There's, there's one, there was one like that, and it, that might, yeah. you know, I mean, there, are so, there are so many uh, classics. To get the cast together, so will that have a bit of a run then, I take it, at the stage show? Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's well, they're going to tour Britain, yeah. I mean, uh, I think the furthest north they're going is Newcastle. They're going out to Plymouth, and so they'll do a week in each uh, town. It's a, yeah, it's a, no, it's a big old, it's a big old thing. That's very exciting. Mm. You, I'll be honest with you, you your news has, has bettered my next question because I, I, someone listens to the news agents a lot. I think that's a, a wonderful podcast. You know, the mate list. Yeah, yeah. So good. Um, I'm naming them like, like the Beatles. <laughs> but, yeah. um, so as a fan of that show, I, I I thought for a while you could actually break, you could do Drop the Dead Donkey, call it a reboot, call it whatever you want, set in the world of yeah. a podcast. But what you're suggesting is, is way better, rolling news, etc. Yeah, well, it's the same characters who find themselves kind of dragged back into the professional world of news gathering, but, you know, they, they, they understandably are going to find it hard to adapt to the, you know, to a world where it's not just the problem of... It. Well, it's a world where what is real, you know, what you can rely on is, is so... It's becoming such a, a defining question, you know, so... It's going to be interesting because on that show, a character would walk across the newsroom yeah. while cracking a gag. Yes, that was you know the ink must have been wet on the page. So ha- so, how did you do it? You, did you film say seventy eight percent of the episode uh, with like, you know Damien's VTs or something like that? And then it, were you dropping the topical gags later? No, on? it was we we'd rehearse it with you know the actor would walk across the set going topical dialogue A, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then we would drop them in as the week progressed, and then. Sometimes we we would drop in a few on the day. It was pretty hard on the actors because when it premiered in 1990, that was when the wall had come down and the Balkans was breaking up. So suddenly you had all these new countries with names like Bosnia Herzegovina sure. and all that. And um, but they the actors um, quickly, you know, because actors are very adaptable people, and uh, they quickly each of them developed these kind of ways of um, helping. Uh, themselves by like there are a lot of post-it stickers on that set it was a very cluttered set if you remember and that helped them because it meant they could they could hide their lines in post-it stickers Um, or sometimes they could have them on their screen you know there was one episode where Gus was on a a kind of cleaning purge because he was appalled by the state of the office and Rob Duncan who was playing Gus had a big sweeping cross of the set where he goes, look at the state of this place. This is a bloody... Mi-. And he, as he went, he was collecting stuff. And he did pick up all these post-it stickers. And poor David Swift, who played Henry, um, who's sadly no longer with us, but I can still see David's face as he realised that, that Rob had basically cleared away his next five <laughs> lines, you know. But um, that was... Uh, but, no, I mean, you know, yeah, and... That's a completely legitimate thing to do. Um, one of the advantages of doing a, a workplace sitcom, especially, is that because um, you know in real life people don't look directly at each other very often. Sure, um, it's only on TV and in films that that happens. You know, but it meant because they were always pretending to type or pretending to take notes or something, they could always be looking down at something. You know, 
absolutely which could have a bit of scribble on it that's uh, incredible now in, t- in terms of your talk now we, I know we need to get to the the, the uh, you creating a gig but in terms of the talk when you say the, the role of comedy now a thing that Tim and I get a lot yes we've been doing always be, always be comedy for 12 years right and this is a recent thing and I think it's a case of if people on news programs and the like Twitter you know and so on people say things enough people start to believe it and so what we get outside of comedy is God, your job must be tough and we go sorry what and they go well you can't say anything these days right and we have to go what are you what yeah. are you talking about no one no one in 12 years has stormed the stage nah. taken the mic off someone and gone I'm a member of the Wokarati and, yeah, I, and yeah. I demand it. No, it's, it's just... a phony. It's a phony war, isn't it? It's a phony war. Yeah. No, I think. Um, I, I think actually on both sides, it, it's it's exaggerated and it's it's yeah. I mean, what, my my concerns are not. Um, I suppose I have a long term concern, yeah. which is. So much of humour, you know, so many classic jokes, so much of what we joke about are very serious topics, you know, like death, uh, marriage, you know, relationships failing, um, illness, you know, so many of them are built around those things. And that, and it part of it is because, you know, jokes are a, a sort of relief valve, you know, they, so a lot of it is about laughing in the face of life. You know, I just, my only concern is, it was twofold, really. One is if the language, I, I did get someone two years ago talking to me about verbs of violent, you know, violent language in, and I said, well, what kind of thing do you mean? And said, well, um, verbs that refer to acts of like, you think most comedy, I mean, you know, our language is just full of non-literal use of violence you know we could murder a curry we could you know and i just i I wouldn't want a situation where people get um try and ring fence language or um or if you're doing a story say you were telling a deathbed joke where you know you get you get a whiff of this with some broadcasters will go well there'll be a lot of people out there with bereavement issues grief issues you know, we better put a we better put a helpline on at the end. You know what I mean? That I kind of yeah. that kind of response. And I think, um, I mean, I I hadn't had as you say, I've not had anybody. Then um, I but I did have on the last tour a, a young front of house manager came up to me, and you know they say, um, okay, how long's your show? Yeah, hour and a half. They go right interval. Yeah, yeah. Um, any loud bangs? Any special effects? Yeah, no. You know, any merch? No. You know, and then he went, oh, any trigger warnings? And I, I'd never heard that, so I sort of went straight. What, sorry, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, anything I need, you know, should I warn the audience about anything you're going to say? And or should we, and I said, no, I want it to come as a horrible surprise, you know. But that was the first time, and I thought afterwards I felt a bit cheap that I'd done. A joke about it because of course presumably that was just on a checklist that he had and he was just doing his job you know but it was like what um, the story was behind that you know I, I presume the previous week someone in the audience had been offended by a joke had made a complaint and and as part of the complaint and said and why wasn't I warned that there was a joke that would offend me you know which is also part of the problem isn't it is that you know so I remember watching a couple of years ago there was a continuity announcer and he said, viewers, uh, 
viewers may find some scenes in this documentary disturbing. And it was a documentary about the Holocaust. And I thought, well, yes. Yeah. Yes, but why would you... It's that thing about, oh, you know, you you mustn't surprise people. You know, you mustn't, um, you mustn't unsettle them. And I think that that's potentially, you know... I don't... Th I think what's happening is there's already a kind of corrective rebalancing going on, but I just think there would be a risk of if you went too far down that road, then... Um, then we'd lose a lot culturally, you know. We would. We would. There's an American comedian, Anthony Jeselnik, um, I guess quite shocking. You know, he's quite a sh some of his material is quite shocking. Yeah. But I've heard him, when he's, I'd say him on stage and him off stage are, are very different. Yeah. Right? I, th I know he's compared his on stage persona to the wrestler Razor, Razor Ramon, which I know it's right. might surprise you. But off stage, he's, uh, he's, he's quite a sweetheart, really. Yeah. But he was talking about, the you know, the science of comedy, and he thinks much of comedy comes down to that. You know, the word used there is, is shock or surprise. Yeah. In terms of you take the public down a path with the setup, yeah. and the punchline is often a thing that you're not expecting. Yeah, I mean that's that's probably the most common element of jokes, isn't it? Is the surprise at the end. Yeah. And so to lose any, I suppose if you if you're in danger of losing any of that, yeah, then uh, yeah, we're, we're, we are in trouble, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. But as I say, I, I'm not pessimistic. You, yeah, you want a world where Frankie Boyle and Jerry Sadovitz are still, you know, performers that people can go and see. But you also want a world where where people don't have to feel they have to go and see Frankie Boyle and Jerry. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, that's the thing that's always been a bit of a puzzle to me is, is the sort of outrage that you sometimes get when people go, and you think, well... It is on the tin. That's who it was. It's on know? the tin. I mean, and this is, I do think there are some people. I think we're talking a minority of a, of a minority. Yeah. But there are some people who want to be outraged. Usually on someone else's behalf. Usually on someone yeah. else's behalf. But there was that. There was. Um, you know, we work with Frankie quite a lot uh, across lockdown. So you know, we hashtag Team Frankie. You know. Right. Uh, but I remember an old episode of, of Tramadol Nights, and and there was a warning that the, this particular episode was going to contain a particular joke. Yeah. So it, it was very much on the tin. Yeah, it was on the yeah. tin. It was on the billboard. You know, it was... But still people... I think people... Those who complain, I think, had tuned in in order to in complain. In order to complain. And that's where... Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a separate matter because some of those guys probably just need a hobby or a, an, yeah. an arm around the shoulder or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember um, years ago... Asha Tala, who produced, a brilliant producer who made um, The Office. The Office, yeah. And, you know, um, Ash contracted polio when he was a boy. And so, uh, uh, you know, he uses a wheelchair. And he made a pilot for the BBC um, written and performed by disabled people um, with the working title of Goodness Gracious Wheelchair, that was. And... and uh, <laughs> And he asked, they, he asked me, him and Anil Gupta asked me if I'd kind of um, mediate at a kind of discussion forum about it in Cambridge somewhere, I can't remember. And what was interesting, I thought it was really, they had some really funny sketches in it. And so we showed, it was about 25 minutes long, we showed it. And then to this audience, I said, OK, let's just start with hands up if you were offended by anything you saw in the show. And, you know, about 30 hands up. I heard 30 hands went up. 30 out of how many? About 200. Okay. But they weren't disabled people. They were able-bodied people who thought that the depiction had been 
Like there was a very funny sketch. It was about middle class embarrassment. Um, this couple were trying to complain to their builder because um, it had been a long time. You know, I said, we, 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 I mean, it's been months and months. He said, yep, yep, we're nearly there, nearly there. Um, Mick's just doing the back room, just doing it, doing a lovely job. Do you want to come and see? Do you want to come and see? And when they went, and Mick was a person restricted growth. He was about two foot six tall. So he'd only painted up to <laughs> about a height of about four feet. And they were too... They were too embarrassed to mention, you know. and it was a brilliant sketch. But I do remember one of the able-bodied people saying, "I thought that was just a cruel taunting of uh, of that character," you know. So it's a, it's a tricky area, but um, but yeah, but but no, I agree with you. The the, the so-called it's like when people say someone got cancelled, and you think, well, what does that mean? Does it mean they can never go out of their front door ever again and no one will ever come and see them? And it doesn't mean that. It just means that, you know, a particular student union um, got a bit uppity and wouldn't let them do a gig there, you know. And also, let's be honest, some people have done very well out of being cancelled. Yes. No, there is. Um, well, I mean, it, it spawned... The trouble is that this phony divide has spawned... You know, there are whole TV channels devoted to it. I mean, obviously, there was... Fox in America, but you've now got GB News and Talk TV, and that's their main shtick, is that they, oh, oh, we're saying the things you can't hear anywhere else, do you think? No, I can hear them any time I want. I can hear them out on the street, you know. And also, at the risk of, I don't, Tim and I don't want to get dragged into beef or anything, Tim made it this bit out of, out of panic, but what we find is that some of these guys that are on the channels that you mentioned there, yeah. who claim the circuit weren't ready for me, you weren't good enough for the circuit. No, that's... Uh, don't, sh- don't... Sure there's always been a bit of that. Don't yeah. use that bollocks, mate. Yeah, yeah, We yeah, saw you yeah. on the circuit. You weren't yeah, that good. Yeah. Don't make yeah. out like... Don't blame the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't, they weren't ready for yeah, me. They weren't, they, were. re- they weren't ready. They weren't grown up enough for me. Yeah. This is your typical radio ad while eating a Crunch Bar. This is Automatic of Auto's Used Cars. This weekend only, we're having a whale. Bring the kids. See for yourself. It is huge. You're going to make a big splash. No other dealer can say they have a whale like this. When things sound dull, turn up the fun with Crunch. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, now, now, on this show, we, we ask our guest to uh, curate what would be their idea of a, a fantasy gig. Okay. Right? Mm. Uh, now, be, now, 
do do you, I ask this question as someone who has way too many pre-gig rituals? You know, I'm pr- practically performing the sign yeah. of the cross, kissing a picture of my grandma, yes. and all of that. Is there is there anything that you do be- before a show? Do you have? Yeah, a... I do. Yeah, I well, I have a lot of cups of tea, which I sometimes regret. But I don't know why. There's some kind of comfort blanket thing going on. In that last 45 minutes, I'll have maybe three, maybe four cups of tea. Jesus, wet. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Do you have to pause the show? No, that's not happened yet. Wow. No. But um, I don't know why that is. Um, it must be some kind of... I'll I tell you the thing that... Uh, I remember talking to Sandy Toxbeak about this years ago. I don't know if you get this. I... I sometimes get about eight minutes before I'm supposed to go on. I'll get a wave of sleepiness like I have never. It's almost like I'm fighting to keep my eyes open. And I just have to sit down and remember this is going to pass in about 30 seconds. But it's almost like my brain saying, right, okay, quick, have a rest because you're going to be really concentrating for the next two hours, you know. We had Milo McCabe was a character act, Troy Hawk. I always be comedy a few weeks ago. And he was yawning before a set. Now, I got the feeling that Milo was quite into... Milo, if you're listening, I apologise if I'm incorrect here. Was perhaps quite into similar stuff as myself, like self-help and all that sort yeah. of thing. And so he was explaining the, the science behind the, the yawn. Right. And he says that if you yawn those eight minutes before the show, yeah. you'll invariably have a great gig. Right. Because it's almost like your body's... Be getting the yawn out of the way. It knows yeah, that yeah. it knows that go time is, is it's coming. It's a release of tension. Yeah, that's inc- it's incredible, yeah, though, isn't yeah. it? Because at the time you're thinking, I don't want to be yawning before I go on no, stage. No, no, yeah, no. I mean, the first time it happened to me, I thought, oh, geez, what, what is this? But um, and I do, I do little tongue twisters to try to just spruce up my diction. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, partly because my diction isn't great, <laughs> so you know, I just want to get everything moving. Um, and what else do I do? Uh, um, I do a bit of pacing. A bit of pacing. Absolutely. The rational part of me says, why are you pacing? That's a stupid thing to do. You're just expending energy. But it's it's just building up adrenaline, I think. And it gets you, it's getting you into... Yeah, getting you into that sort of assertive kind of mode. The more you're talking, I could I could start a gig right now. <laughs> right. Because yeah. I, can, I can relate to all that. You're just, yeah. you're just getting the... You're saying to the body, right, we're... Yeah, yeah. You know, let's Come go. On. It's, yeah. Um, I don't have any... I don't think I have any quirky things, you know. I don't I don't have any superstitions sure. or anything. Um, but that's sort of my... Perfect. My ritual. Um, who, who, would be, who would be an ideal MC? Who's been the best compare or MC that you've seen down the years? Well, I... Because I... I mean, because I came late to... Doing, you know, solo shows. I, I, you know, I was for many, many years. You know, my proper day job was being a writer. Still is really. Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm serious about it. You know, I don't. It's not a hobby. But um. So I don't get emceed very often. I do on charity nights and things like that. Um. I would say someone like Arthur Smith. Partly because he's sort of so disrespectful towards the whole process, uh, I think is quite quite good. Um, try and think who else. I mean, Arthur Smith, such a talk about a master craftsman. Yeah, yeah. The first time I ever met Arthur was in a bar in Edinburgh, and my memory is he showed me a tattoo. 
that he had in a a rather delicate place. But <laughs> but it's one of those memories when I talk about it to friends, they they say, No, 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 that wasn't you know, so I'm not I'm not sure if I trust that memory anymore. But I can believe it might have been him. You know. Arthur Smith spitting his tea out listening to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that wasn't me. Uh, what? But he was Brian then. He was Brian. You know, I first knew him as Brian. But um, uh, yeah, I just like his unmistakable sort of appro- approach. Approach, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what, what about an opener? Have you ever seen? Has there been an opener that you've seen that you know in terms of uh, getting a gig off to a, a flying start? Well, I went to a, a memorial show for Barry Cryer a little while back, and Harry Hill came was on at the end. And he and he came flying out. I've never seen anyone come flying out. And his opening gambit, I think, was. It turns out the Scottish Widows isn't an, isn't an escort agency. I think that was. The <laughs> but he just, um, I kind of yeah, you you admire that. I mean. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, either you can't come out, you know, like a bullet from a gun and try and slay him. Sometimes I, I was doing a thing. I went out sort of um, as COVID restrictions started to ease. And you know that period where, you know, some audiences would be entirely in masks. Some would be semi-masked. Oh, yeah. Some had no masks at all. Yeah. And I... I I had I did I used to do an off stage announcement where I'd say thank you so much for coming out and supporting live theatre tonight. I'm only sorry I can't be there with you because I'm currently working from home. <laughs> and then I would say, you know, this is not it's nothing to do with COVID. It's purely to piss off Jacob Rees Mogg. And and I had about four good gags, but oh, that's so but, good but doing an off stage announcement. I thought that was I rather. If it works and you've already got some big laughs before you even walk on, I think that's a fairly ideal. Oh, that's one. great. Um, Are you? Can you? Has too much time elapsed for you to start this tour like that? Do you think? I think so. Too far. I don't think. It? I think COVID's a bit like a fever dream for everybody now. I Isn't think. it? And um, and that's probably no bad thing. I think that's about human nature, isn't it? Is that when when you have a bad experience. Your your brain kind of says right. Let's blur that as much as possible, and like no one can remember what year things happen now. They'll go, so oh, true. I think it was twenty. Was it twenty one or was it twenty? You know, it's all merged. So I won't be doing uh, material about COVID because I think people are just bored of it. You know? I think COVID could be. It, it probably is already actually the new Brexit in terms of. Yeah, I remember us, Tim and I were doing a gig in central London, and there were three acts on. And the third, I was emceeing it, and the third of the three acts had Brexit material, and the whole crowd collectively went, Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. and I and I think unless you've got unless people have got some astonishing A new insight, new take on no, COVID. I think Brexit. You know, I think their attitude. It's it's like one of those horrible Christmas family dinners. That went terribly wrong. That no one talks about, <laughs> anymore, you know, where everyone had a few too many drinks, stuff got said. You know, it was decided to take a vote, and then you burnt the house down, and no one, re- no one really knows, no one really knows, you know. And looking back, people are mystified and embarrassed, and and yeah, and people don't want to fall out with each other again. And um, so, no, I mean, it might pop up in passing, but no, it's not a topic. Have you, uh, in terms of Harry, would be is a perfect opener for I mean he's, he's perfect to go on at anywhere at, at any gig but have you ever worked with Harry down the years 
No. Have no, really? I've never worked with him. Um, I've had some very, very, very... I had a very brief conversation with him standing outside Tim's studios once because he was taught by an old friend of mine. Um, uh, but no, but I've always admired him. He's always made me laugh. And I used to love watching Harry Hill's TV burp. and Incredible. Mm. Uh, I think he I think he got his break on weekending. He met what, as a writer? I think so. Yeah, well, that was the sort of logical place to start. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that was a starting... A lot of people, a jumping off point for a lot of people. So so if Arthur, if Arthur Smith is to compare, if, if Harry Hill is to open the gig, people go for a break, they come back, who who do you have in the the middle? Well, I'm a big fan of Stuart Lee's. The only thing is, if you put him in the middle, Stuart needs a certain amount of time, I think, because there's a kind of accumulation in his act that is very particular to him. Well, be... I, I am fascinated watching him work, you know, and um, and he's just so interesting. He he's always, um, you know, he's he's always unexpected, and um, so yeah, I, I rate him really highly. I think he's, you know, he's one of the great comic voices to come out of this country. Uh, he's uh, he's someone who comes up a lot on the pod. And Tim and I, and this, what I'm about to say comes up a lot. We, Tim and I are, are always inspired by Stuart and Harry in terms of their their love of the game. They're, they're, they've got the same, probably more enthusiasm now than they had yeah. 30 years ago. So when, when I mean, Harry, very few comedians play always be comedy as much as Harry. And we've got to know Stu a bit. Stu plays always be comedy quite right. a bit these days. And what is apparent is their... The love, the energy, the enthusiasm, yeah. And there's something, as I say, some, something deeply inspiring about that. And and I know that we we both hope that we have that love of live comedy, and I'm sure we will. Yeah. In 20, 30 years' time, in the way that those guys have, there's something so. I know that words like infectious and enthusiasm and yeah. positivity sort of go against the the the, uh, the Lee brand, but yeah, yeah. Um, but you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's the sort of combination of craft and, um, yeah, intellectual energy that goes into it. I mean, because Harry Hill sort of sweeps audiences along in the way that Ken Dodd used to, you know. Um, I mean, Ken Dodd, you know, his material wasn't as good as Harry's, I would say, but but he kind of just swept audiences along. It was just this... Um, avalanche of jokes yeah you know? um uh, when i was a kid we, we my my grandparents used to take myself and my sister scarborough every year yeah so down the years we saw joe longthorne the Grumbleweeds, right you know cannonball you know, yeah. on and on and on yeah but the 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 very best we ever saw and all the cliches all the old stories are, are absolutely true i think the show started at half seven yes we had to leave the theater half 10 yeah otherwise we couldn't get the bus back to the yeah, yeah. the hotel and so that show was not wrapping up so no. i mean I, you know but that all the stories of doddy are true aren't they that these shows would just go on and on and on i mean i only saw him once but uh, um yeah you hear these stories about he used to end it end the show with do you give in do you give in, do you give in? <laughs> and all this, you know. but i like yeah i like comedians who are kind of got you know fantastically distinct voices in both senses of the word you know um, in terms of what you know, what they choose to talk about. So, like, 
like Linda Smith, who sadly not with us anymore. But you know, there was no one like Linda. You know, um, Jeremy Hardy. There was no one like Jeremy, and I think that's virtually the first sort of acid test of how good a comedian is. You know, are there any like him? No. You know. Something that Nish Kumar said on uh, a recent episode was, uh, I think it was the American comedian Richard Lewis, who uh, you probably know from Kerber Enthusiasm. He, he was in yeah, movies yeah. as well. But he said that he, he got to a point where him on stage and him off stage, there was hardly any difference. Now, I, di- I didn't know Jeremy Orlinder, but right. I, I got the feeling, and maybe you're the same, that on and off stage, probably not, not that different. Maybe just turning little bits up and down. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that, that in itself is a... A yeah, special that, skill, isn't that's, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you. I mean, obviously, then. Yeah, you're in performance, mate. So it's different in that sense. But um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the com- comic. It's funny because, you know, you're brought up on this idea of the tortured, you know, the tortured soul behind the clown's mask, you know, and. But the comics I work with early on. Many of them were, like, Les Lawson was very funny off and very like his onstage persona, which was that he was always cracking jokes, he was always larking around. Um, you know, Dave Allen was oh was God. funny off, you know, and, and, and quite pretty like uh, the Dave Allen persona, you know. I mean, occasionally you'd stumble across one who where there was a more stark contrast you know i mean dave i mean uh, as a northerner les dawson you know obviously such a, a special place in my heart but dave allen perhaps someone who isn't talked about enough i mean we're, no. we're talking about one of the greatest comedians of all time i mean yeah. that that itv show that would that was on in the 90s i mean that was and I, I know we'd had the bbc show yeah before that but i mean this is essential television isn't yeah. it? yeah well i mean what i loved about watching dave allen was the he made it look so effortless. You know, he sat on the stool and he made it look like you just dropped in and, yeah, he made it He made it feel so ruminative and relaxed, you know. There's real art to it. It was, it was very carefully constructed. But, um, but when he told stories off, I mean, he told me, I mean, I, I remember a couple of stories. Um, he told me he was a court reporter and he was talking about some of the cases he'd seen. And he said, in, in Ireland, and he said, and I'm going to, I will attempt an Irish accent. <laughs> so please, please don't accuse me of <laughs> cultural appropriation. But he said that um, he was, there was a, a guy, uh, an accused, he was in, he was the accused. And they started the cross examination, and it became apparent that he was quite deaf. And uh, the judge intervened and said, I'm not happy that this process is fair. Is there anyone here uh, who could communicate with the accused so he knows what he's being asked? And this young guy at the back put his hand up and said, yes, I, 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 could, I could communicate with him. You know, I said, well, would you please step forward? He said, and you are? He said, I'm his son, Your Honour. He said... Okay, and you can, because your father's seriously, you can, y- yes, I can. So they said that this guy joined his father in the, you know, in the dock. And the barrister said, you are 
James Arthur O'Leary, and the son cut his hands against his ear and went, You are James Arthur O'Leary! <laughs> That's all he was. He was just shouting, <laughs> shouting down his ear. And, um, you know, but, yeah, but that was half the fun, in a way. I mean, like Roy Hudd, who I worked with a lot, um, you know, He's a terrific comedian and wonderful to work with, but the biggest fun of all was that Roy just had this bottomless treasure trove of hilarious stories. You know, some where he'd been present and seen it happen, and many that were had been told to him. But you know, so you spent a lot of time, and I often end up quite often I end up telling stories on stage and saying this is the story that Roy had told me. Oh, that's so happened, nice. You know, uh, well who. You may have answered the question already. Who who would close the gig? Um, would it be Would it be Dave Allen? I don't know. Um, I know. I think if you're going to ask me, who might probably the person I would, I think it'd probably be Bob Newhart. Oh, what a choice! So um, he's like my comedy god. Yeah. If, am I right in saying that Bob was Bob Newhart best pals with Don Rickles? And they even went on holiday together. He might have been. I don't know. I don't know much about him. But absolute, like, you couldn't yeah. get more polar opposites. You know, Bob Newhart, soft-spoken, yeah. gentle, Rickles, the, yeah. the opposite of in all those face. things. Yeah. Well, my friend Jay Tarsis, I wrote and performed in a Radio 4 show called Revolting People, where, which I co-wrote with Jay. And um, Jay played a, a, an American shopkeeper at the time of yeah. the, the War of Independence. And I played a, a one-eyed, one-armed one-legged, one-eared redcoat sergeant and who was <laughs> billeted with him. And uh, But one of the many joys of working with Jay, his brilliant person, was that Jay had had a long career and he'd worked with Mary Tyler Moore and he'd, he worked with Bob Newhart. He worked on the Bob Newhart show, the one wow. um, set in that sort of ski lodgy place. Um, yeah, but I just love Bob Newhart. I've always have done since I was a kid, but um, maybe because I think the timing in Newhart is so astonishing. And then you saw him, you know, he, he sort of, they got him in to do that character in The Big Bang. Have you seen him do that? No. Right, there's a character in The Big Bang, he's the childhood hero of um, Sheldon. Oh, right. And he was, a, he was a TV science kind of presenter. And he comes into this and he just steals every scene he's in because his timing is so phenomenal. And it's that thing of just that additional bit of bravery, you know, just just maybe push a beat a fraction longer than most people would dare to do. And also the way he just very naturalistically ruffles his way into lines, you know, because there's... I remember there's one one of his monologues where he's the captain of a submarine yep. that has been under the art the polar ice cap for a record <laughs> like a year or something. Right. And he and it starts and he's just giving a, a he's just congratulating everyone. He says, "Well done, men! Uh, what a fantastic achievement! You know, you've all I'm so proud of you all. You know, you've you've withstood the trials and tribulations of being." Under the polar ice cap for ten minutes. I just got a couple of questions. I like you. He said, "I'd just like to ask you for number one, where's the cook?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I just. But he, you know, he invests. 
I mean, there's one wonderfully long, long one. You may have heard it, which is a, a leaving speech. Have you heard that? No. One? Where he's accepting the, and it's it's very long. It's yeah. about twenty five minutes. It's like a little play, but it turns out he's accepting this uh, rather um, underwhelming leaving present, and gradually it turns out that he's sort of embezzled all the company. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I'd, I'd, yeah, I just think he's a great Is the one where he artist. plays? He plays someone who was in the Empire State Building after King Kong has climbed it. Yeah, no, he, he's ringing. Yeah, he's um, he's a security. He's on the he's the night porter. Yeah, and he's ringing to ask him why. Yeah, we go. There's a guy. Yeah, I mean the angles are just yeah, yeah. extraordinary. Yes, you know, I was reminded of Joe Wilkin. Have you ever gigged with Joe Wilkinson? But no. uh, oh, Joe Joe Wilkinson, he's. His his angles, his flights of fancy. Yeah. I think he would he would love uh, Bob Newhart. Is there any so if anyone listening, what is there anything in particular? Maybe just YouTube Bob Newhart and go from there. Yeah, there used to be. You know, there used to be a, a radio program called Family Favorites. It used to be on at lunchtime on a Saturday or a Sunday, and they'd often have a Bob Newhart monologue, and it would be, you know, Walter Raleigh trying to explain to someone that he bought back tobacco. <laughs> Or, um, oh, there's the driving lesson. That's the famous one, the driving instructor, where um, he's clearly got this, he's got this uh, pupil driver who's clearly, she's a nightmare, but he's trying to be, <laughs> trying to be polite. They end up on someone's lawn. <laughs> Superb. Yeah. Awaken your senses with a curiously refreshing Hendrix Cucumber Lemonade. Curious how? Cue the aroma. Marvellous. Cue the taste. Magnificent. Cue the cucumber. That's the refreshing secret. Hendrix is uncommonly crafted with cucumbers, roses, artistry and imagination. Other gins are ordinary, but Hendrix is refreshingly curious. Discover Hendrix Gin cocktail recipes at HendrixGin.com. Please drink the unusual responsibly. Hendrix Gin, 44% alcohol by volume. Bottled imported by William Grunton Sons, New York, New York. Copyright 2024. Are you ready for heart-stopping, toe-tingling, coma-inducing levels of drama and romance? Okay, great. Well, you can find it all included with Prime Video. Check out Expat starring Nicole Kidman, The Idea of You starring Anne Hathaway, and the history-bending romanticy My Lady Jane, which will leave you speechless forever. Or till the end of the episode. Find your happy place. Prime Video. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. If you're looking for plump lips at last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XE and Juvederm Ultra XE, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XE or Juvederm Ultra XE. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all gel fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit www.juvederm.com. Uh, that, I mean, that, that, that would be, that would be a, a dream bill for, for, for any comedy fan. Now, 
Has there, has there been anything that's happened at a gig that you would love to replicate at this gig? Has there been a, any particular lovely memory from a, a gig that you've experienced? What, the, where I've been in the audience? And... In, either on the, on the audience, either on stage? No, I mean, I've never... It's quite interesting. I've never really heard a devastating heckle. You know, people talk about hecklers and, like, hecklers in the Glasgow Empire. Just Sure. Mockham and Wise were uh, on the wrong end of a few of those, weren't they? Yeah. Well, the famous one is Mike and Bernie Winters. Oh, yeah. Because do you remember Mike and Bernie Winters? I, I, so I, I don't remember the double act, but I do remember Bernie, Bernie and Schnorbitz. And, and Schnorbitz, Schnor- yeah. Schnor- I, wrote, I wrote for Bernie Yes, Winters you did, of course, yeah. Uh, well, briefly. It's not, not something... I don't normally share that. Um, but, um, well, they were a double act. And Mike Winters was about a dull, a straight man as you could be. Right. And Bernie used to loon around, big man with the big teeth. He'd go, yeah, yeah. face. And, yeah. and, you know, I'll be honest, he, I, he was, by all accounts, an absolutely lovely, lovely man. But I wouldn't put them in the upper echelon of double acts. It's one of the few times where... Eric Morecambe, actually, in interviews, yeah. and I've seen the footage, yeah. gets a couple of pops in at their expense, doesn't yes, he? Yes, yes, they, they took the mickey out of them. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, I think that was a, a permissible. <laughs> sure. <laughs> given the difference in quality between that. But um, anyway, report, reputedly, um, they were playing the Glasgow Empire, and they always began the act the same way, which is that, Mike, at this time, Mike would come out and say, I'm terribly sorry, everybody. Uh, I've no idea where Bernie is. But don't you worry, I shall entertain you while we wait. But I'm, and I'm going to sing for you. And he had a decent crooner's voice. Sure. And he would start singing, I left my heart in San Francisco. So he'd go, or something like that. He'd go, I left my heart in San Francisco. And he'd get a few lines in. And then... Bernie's head would come round the side and go, yee, face. And that's how the show would start. Anyway, they're playing the Glasgow Empire. Bernie comes out. Uh, Mike comes out. Bernie's not here. Sorry about that, but I'm going to sing for you now. And he's, I love my heart in San Francisco. And then after a few a few phrases, Bernie sticks his head around the and goes, yee. And the voice from the back says, oh, fuck, there's two of them. <laughs> <laughs> there's two of them. So that, but I've not heard, a de- and I remember Sean Locke saying, I've, I was on a show once, that he'd been in the comedy store where uh, someone had been dying on their ass on stage and a blind guy at the back, have you heard this? He, he, he heckled, he said, get off. And there was a pause and then he said, has he gone yet? <laughs> but I've never... Um, oh, my God! So... But mostly heckles are, you know, narcissistic uh, interventions from from people who who are either drunk or or not that funny, aren't they? Oh, but they're all. I mean, we we have a a proper zero tolerance slash sense of humour bypass with any heckle. And also, I think thank you know thank goodness we're at an age now where if someone wants to heckle, and we we have had this, as I say, across twelve years, yeah. I can count them on probably two fingers. Yeah. And I'd be doing that, <laughs> but we've but we where audience members would they physically do this as if to they're turning around as if yeah. to say we we doing we didn't no pay to hear no you. one's heckled since nineteen eighty seven no. you know um, what what about what again I think you I think you may have you probably answered it already we could probably put the Mike and Bernie in one and the Shawman in the other because the other question is has there been an incident that under 
any circumstances must not happen at this gig. You know, when I started out, I was a, um, a student in Cambridge. I wasn't in Footlights. I was in something called Kules, which did shows mostly for old people's homes and hospitals yeah. and children's homes and stuff. But we, we, I don't know whose idea it was. Someone said, why don't we do a tour of Scottish prisons and borstals? Um, and the material, the sketches were, were pretty dated and a bit ropey. And there was a sketch called Tarzan, which involved the participation of four Tarzans. And you had to jump on stage and say, me, Tarzan, thump your chest, in your underpants. And we were playing Pormont Borstal, just outside Glasgow. And they were a lively bunch, about 400 Glaswegian delinquents. And I was first Tarzan, and it was the first sketch of the show. So I jumped on stage in my underpants, went, me, Tarzan, and then I was met by a wall of noise. And I couldn't really work out what they were shouting. I had a rough idea. You know, I think a lot of it was uh, commentary on my physique. <laughs> but it was just a wall Jesus of what? sound. And I'm standing there thinking, well, what do I do? And when I got off, my mate was laughing because I think it was like, it was many, many, many minutes between my first line and my second line. <laughs> <laughs> so I would not want to be met by a oh wall of, God. not being met by a wall of derision. That would be the thing I'd most like not to happen. Now, uh, when you're on tour, is there a way, this is the, this is the, 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 the final question, is there a way that you, uh, how do you unwind after a gig? Well, I'm sure it's probably a really boring answer. You, you've probably had this kind of response before. I mean, the, the, the quandary after, I mean, if I can, I go home. You know, so if there's a late train, uh, even if it's an hour and a half or whatever, I'll try and get home. And and what's quite good about going home on a night train is that it kind of gives your brain time to decelerate. And, you know, so by the time I get home, I've kind of wound down and I'm, norm I'm normal again. If you're staying over in a hotel, yeah, I do find it... It's hard, um, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, just because my brain's still spinning a bit. So I usually have a bath, I watch some obscure sport... On on a on a remote TV channel. What, summit, you, what are you talking? What remote sport? Bulgarian basketball or something. I don't know. I, I just kind of channel hop and try and find something. I don't want anything uh, that I have to follow. You oh. know, I want it to be something that's just wallpapery. You know. Um, I went through a phase of when I got back from a gig. Yeah. I would watch old episodes of Bullseye. Right, thinking yes. that was going to calm me down. Oh right, it's that show is exhilarating. Oh, it got you. Oh my, it's it 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 the worst thing I could have done. So that right. you know, the, you know, they've got to hit. Is it one hundred and one yeah, on dark throw yeah, first, yeah. Or whatever? And you think, oh, it's been nice and calm after a gig. And I'm this 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 show is nearly forty years old. Yeah, and I'm pleading with these this married couple from Wigan or whatever. It's like Come pure on. amphetamines. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I, mean, I still all, suffer all... with it all after all these years. I still the adrenaline and yeah, you know, I, I was doing, I was warming up double. Double shot, double record recently, right? And every night would wake up four or five in the morning, just just because yeah, the heart yeah. is, you know, it's all still. I don't, I've, I've, maybe there isn't. Well, there warm is up, warm up. That's um, that's one of the harder jobs, I think. Warm up. Who was who was dropped that had uh, was that was that in front of a, a yes, audience? Yes, very who, much. So. Who was the warm up? Was it me? 
Are you serious? No, it was me for two reasons. One was um, I was driving everybody mad in the box. You know, I was a co-producer with my friend Guy Jenkin, who you know I co-created it with. Yeah. But I'm not a born spectator, and the, the, you know, being in the box on a multicam sitcom recording, as as you know, it, that's a stressful environment, or it can be a high pressure environment. And having me pacing up and down, wearing a groove in the carpet at yeah. the back, doesn't help anybody. So there was that. And so the first one of the good reasons was to get me out of the box. That was a good move. And the second thing was being down on the floor. Very few people knew the show better than me. So so I could do a, a good job of, you know, when there were camera breaks or whatever, just you, obviously your job is to keep the audience nicely simmering. But I could also sort of remind them of the story when we were about to pick up and stuff like that. So, and the other thing I found, which was a really useful thing, is when you're in the box, you're a bit insulated and you don't necessarily know why something is going wrong. You can see, whereas if you're on the floor, you can see, oh, that actor's got a problem over there, you know. Um, so it was quite useful because Guy was in the box, That's so great. he could see it all on the monitors, but I could actually see what was happening on the floor you know, and sometimes, like, if an insert got less of a response than than you might have hoped, yeah, because I was on the floor, I would know that too many people had been walking around on the set while it was being played in and that the audience had been a bit distracted. And the gallery wouldn't otherwise know that stuff? No, not necessarily, no. Um, so, so it was actually quite a, a, a happy uh, little accident that I ended up warming it up. Amazing. Yeah. We actually, the very first show was warmed up by Bob Mills. And, My uh, God. And Bob, but but unfortunately, yeah, it, it had been registered by then that I was going to drive everybody mad in the box. So it was suggested to me that I should do it. So that's what I did. I know a few, a few producers were not allowed in the gallery. For the, so you're not, yeah. you're not alone there. No, it's, it's just difficult. I mean, you're... It's a bit like following your horse around the national, isn't it? You, it is absolutely. And, You're so invested, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Now, so before you go, there's the tour. Huge congrats on the the the, the stage tour as well. Is there anything else you'd like us to mention? Uh, I've got a book coming out in September, which is a, a memoir about my relationship with football. So it's called Blue Was the Color, and it's about. Um, about football, but particularly about um, my relationship with Chelsea because I grew up in a house that backed on to Stamford Bridge. So I went to my first game at the age of six. And it's the distance between my first game, which was Chelsea v Newcastle in 19, 1960, and the game that was played last March, Chelsea Newcastle, which was around the time that Abramovich had just been wow. sanctioned. And Newcastle had just been bought by Saudi Arabia, um, or however you want to express it. But and so that's quite a distance between those two uh, episodes. So it's a kind of it's a funny memoir. But looking at the changes, looking at the changes, you know, because in 1960 the um, the players were on actually no more money than the average person in the crowd. Absolutely. They were on a maximum of 20 quid a week. And 
of course, you know, last March, the fans were looking at 22 millionaires playing, you know, and um, there's so many extraordinary differences when you stop to think about it. So it's it's called Blue Was The Colour. That's a great idea. Uh, I mean, that's the journey of what's happened to football, isn't it? And yeah. It's summed up in a book. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, question that we don't normally ask them, who's, who's your favourite ever Chelsea player? Well, that's difficult. Um, well, I was, as a boy, I was completely... Did you catch Greaves? I did. Right, just before he went? I wrote to Jimmy Greaves when it was in the paper that he was leaving for Milan. Yeah. Age six, I wrote him a letter, which he never responded to. Come on, Jimmy. And then years later, I was producing a show called Who Dares Wins, and... Um, Rory McGrath had written, he used to write these sketches which involved the participation of, you know, celebrities as themselves. And this one needed a, a legendary footballer. So I thought, oh, so I'll, I'll, it's a long shot. So I wrote him a letter saying, um, Dear Jimmy Greaves, this is not the first letter I've written to you. I wrote to you in R6 advising you, urging you not to go to AC Milan, a move that you've admitted in your autobiography was a big mistake. So I'm writing to you again to ask you to appear in this sketch enclosed on Who Dares Wins, um, uh, yours, Andy Hellman. Um, you know, please don't, please don't make the mistake of ignoring my voice second time. Brilliant. And um, and I, we knew he liked the show. He had he had given the show very favourable reviews in his because he was a TV, He's a TV review. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, and I sent it off to LWT, and I thought, well, I, you know, it's a million to one shot. And a couple of weeks went by. This was in the pre-production period. And a couple of weeks went by, and I'd kind of forgotten about it. And then the phone rang, and the receptionist said, I've got a Mr. Bleeves for you. I don't know a Mr. Bleeves. So I put him on. And it was Greaves. And he came on the phone, and uh, he was very nice, but he said, I can't face doing it because you do it in front of a live audience, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, I'd get too nervous. And I said, well, you played in front of 120,000 people at Hamden Park you know, playing for England. He said, no, I would get too nervous. He said, but, he said, I will give it a really good plug on my Saturday morning TV review. So anyway, um, now it's a weekday. That's right, because I was at work. I was at work and the phone rang. It was my mum. And she, and I, you know, she didn't normally ring me at work, so it was a bit unsettling. And she said, um, I've just been watching the telly and Jimmy Greaves has just said that everyone has to watch his old friend Andy Hamilton's show. And um, so I said, she said, I didn't know you know him. And I said, I don't know him, Mum. I've only spoken to him on the phone, you know, and I put the phone down. And then, like, a few minutes later, a mate rang. How long have you known Jimmy Greaves? <laughs> he just said, you know. We, we, we cannot thank you enough. Uh, Pleasure. So, uh, I think I hope it came across what an honour it was for us to have you on the show. Oh, it's so, very sweet. Thank you. Thank you for oh, everything. It was lovely to do. Huge and heartfelt thanks to the great Andy Hamilton. What I would say, you've, and you've, you'd have seen Andy, we reckon, down the years on all sorts of things. Tim, he's as lovely... He, he's Andy Hamilton all the time, isn't he? He's not. What I mean is he's not like... Um, some snarling monster, and then as soon as you hit right go, and he turns into a, a lovely guy, he's just a 24-7 diamond. He was as charming on pod as he was off pod. Wonderful. Wonderful man. Oh, t- 
him. As always, absolutely ties it all up in a bow. So two absolute two two exclusives. The uh, maybe shouldn't be using the word exclusive for the drop dead the dead donkey thing, but it, let's go with it. Two exclusives um, because he did say it was coming out on Tuesday, so that's why we've well, well no. It's one of the reasons why the episode we released the episode on Tuesday because he talked about the drop the dead donkey thing. We couldn't not put it out. I guess is what we're saying in a roundabout way. So the the, the drop the dead donkey bombshell, and then also uh, he has written a book about his relationship with Chelsea Football Club, which is ostensibly a journey of what has happened to football from where you've gone from it being a very working class sport where you know a ticket would have cost you a halfpenny and you'd, you'd have a change for the for a bag of chips and all that malarkey but I mean, I mean i'm sort of being glib but at the same time there is there is truth in that whereas now it has become this multi-billion pound industry and uh, and as andy says you sort of wonder where it's all going um so yes Andy, if you google andy hamilton tour and you will get to witness firsthand uh a very special comic brain uh please oh by the way as we always say please send in your correspondence the team at alwaysbecomedy.com, the team at alwaysbecomedy.com. We're across the socials at alwaysbecomedy. Tim, your favourite memory of Andy Hamilton? So pre-comedy, when I was purely a fan, uh, a very important show to me was Have Got News For You. And I'd say there are a few guests who are more synonymous with the show than Andy Hamilton. It's always fantastic. He's one of the first people I think of whenever I think of that show. Um, so getting to meet him and have him on a podcast with always B Company's name on it is something I'm very proud of, I'm going to say. Superb. And I think you're right. If you're going to do, if you're going to do your fantasy, have I got news for you? He might he might be first name on the might be first name on the Ruddy team sheet. Uh, I'm gonna go, I'm just gonna go with his gift to the world of Drop the Dead Donkey. And my favorite memory has to be when he dropped the bombshell, and as I said to him, I nearly started crying because <laughs> it was—it felt like the most special gift ever. And yeah. he said to me and Tim, "Come along, oh mate, we'll, oh, we'll be there. We will be there." Uh, yeah, that was that. That felt like a special moment and a real coup. And as Tim said, my jaw was open, and I—I I did. I nearly legit fauches uh, rolled a tear at the news of the drop, the dead donkey tour. Tim, any other business before we go? Um, no, I don't think so. Rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Rate, review, subscribe. Oh my gosh, it is it is frankly bonkers what a difference it makes. So uh, yes, huge and heartfelt thanks. Please do keep those. There was real neediness in the way I said please there. Please, uh, no, please keep those uh, five star reviews coming in. Uh, we're always eye wateringly grateful. Oh. We're planning a work trip night out. Uh, Progress Wrestling. Uh, Sakisa, Tim Lewis, myself. Quite a few of you have expressed an interest. We, we posted about it. So we're thinking of all heading up to Progress Wrestling. Uh, and I guess we'll say more in a future episode, Tim. We'll say more. We're, let's just say we're working on it. We are working on it. Uh, huge and heartfelt thanks. Thank you once again to Andy Hamilton, uh, an absolute king among men. That was, Tim, that felt like a real high point of the, 
of the podcast journey. <laughs> it was so nice. Um, I'm not sure we'll keep this in, but a lot of the people we've been chatting to so far have been people very synonymous with the night and close friends. Uh, Andy Hamilton was not someone we knew quite so well, but it was just as comfortable. I'm going to say it, James. You were just as on form as you were if you're talking to a good friend of a decade. Hang on a minute. Keep that. What do you mean I'm not going to keep this in? <laughs> joking, aren't you? Yeah, you're keeping this in. Uh, no, thank. that's very kind, and, and that means a lot. And yes, you know what, Tim? It was good to... As I always say to my girls, you've got to get, get out of your comfort zone. And it was good to interview someone that we, de- we we previously did not know. Yeah, so that was really exciting, I'm going to say. And we hope you enjoyed it. it. It felt special. Thanks, guys. We love you very much. And we're super duper. I can't believe I said super duper. We're super. Hashtag super duper. We're super duper grateful. Uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Uh-huh.